coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you had a great new year and a good holiday and a good Christmas and all the things we either can't or can't say. I forget what we're at war with right now. Is it Christmas or New Year or something? But we are I'm personally at war with Arbor Day. Are you? Well, I I don't have anything against Arbor Day. I think it's a a solid uh, and, and necessary reminder. I just... Everybody else is already at war with it. It was the only one left. It was I, the only I, one left. I, I, yeah, and I, I just, I, I'm claiming it. Okay, you, you, you plant your flag in Arbor. Yeah, it's more of a cold war. <laughs> F them trees. That's right. Dog, big dick boy. I, I, that's right. I really don't want to get too involved, but the threat is out there. So watch it, trees. Well, you don't want the. You don't want it to appear that you're too involved, but secretly, That's right. you've got, yeah. like, back got, channels to, to funguses I've, and weevils. That's right. I've got arboreal spies planting mistletoe. God, did you remember the last time we went and saw arboreal spies? It was a great Oh, show. God. That was... <laughs> they opened for Ultron Cafe, I think. Yes, they did. And it was supposed to be their uh, their farewell tour for, like, the eighth time. Make the joke. Make the joke. <laughs> God damn it. If you don't make the joke right now... Uh, damn it! <laughs> I, I'm too holiday tapped right you're now. Gonna, to... You're gonna let a uh, either either a perennial or what is it a deciduous or an evergreen joke just go right by you? On... It's rather appropriate given my Cold War on Arbor Day. Well, that's what I'm saying. We, we said it was supposed to be their farewell tour. Oh, but... I see. Yeah, so yeah, are... yeah, we're back. It's, listen, we're catching up. Day. It's taken a while. All right. Yes. Speaking of taking a while, I feel like we've been doing this, and I'm fine with it, because I'm finding out all kinds of fun, interesting things, but I feel like we've been in this story arc for like three months. (laughs) (laughs) What what are we talking about tonight, Cole? Well, this is Hey Kids Comics number 340. 14. We are damn close to yet another milestone. How are we doing this? I I don't know. I, I mean, I remember when it was a big deal when we hit 50. I, we were like, and that was nearly 300 50. issues ago. We have found what the something hell? for you could listen to this show almost every day for a year. Yeah. And somehow we found something to talk about comic book wise, every single one, and not repeated ourselves. I don't. We should get an award issued by us to us. <laughs> That's right. Um. And ironically, Andy got an award, and I didn't because I am the Chewbacca you of podcasting. Are, you are the Susan Lucci Chewbacca of <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> so maybe in forty-three years. Well, I have I'll to be—I my... have to be dying yeah. um, in order for you to get your award. <laughs> oh, here we we left this. Uh, it was on one of the ships. And we forgot to bring it with us to the right. ceremony. So what I'm going to do is give it to a. Uh, one of our regular guests just to hand you right. <laughs> unceremoniously oh, here, by the way, yeah, here's a, a thing make more ceremony about my cheap uh, wooden box that I bought from Hobby Lobby in, in uh... <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry yeah. this isn't Rant Corpit no matter how bad we want it to be hashtag all Babu Frick um... <laughs> there actually is a Babu Frick like fans of Babu Frick or something page on facebook now i forget who i was yelling about this to but i was saying uh it might have been you where i said i need a babu frick black series figure and somebody sent me the the picture of the one that comes with uh i forget uh or c3po oh yeah like it's like a half inch tall and i'm like no i want it to be full scale i don't know how you make that work but i I, I don't know why we need a a life-size babu frick figure that's a they great just idea. Chirps and whirls all the time, uh, but yeah, I, that, I'm impressed with the box though. It, uh, the the tongue oil was a nice. Oh no, yeah. I mean, we got to keep your tongue oiled. <laughs> That's right. Cole and I, in case you don't know, and there is a video of it that at some point will play on Isle of Toys. 
send each other care packages periodically throughout the year, and uh, Cole had to get some tongue oil. Absolutely. In his uh, life, I mean, he asked for it every year. It's only available it's like, in Ohio. It, it's it's like a uh, it's kind of like a fruit cake for me at this time of year. I just need my tongue oil. So this is uh, Hey Kids Comics <laughs> the weirdest cold open we've ever had. It's great. This is like one of those songs that has a really long bridge. <laughs> this is Alice's. This the is DJ, Alice's restaurant. Yeah, and the DJs like talk over <laughs> oh, the first is, minute and a half of a two-minute bridge. Yeah. This is Writers on the Storm when I was on college radio and used to have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick Rick got me through many a bathroom break. There we go. So this is actually 340 Declaration of Independence. You say... Comico, I say Kamiko. I say Kokomo. That you know what? <laughs> they take it fast and they take it slow. That's where they want to go. That's right. And down they're a bunch to, of liars because there is no to, Kokomo. Down but, to Kamiko. John Stamus, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch liar. Way down in Komiko. Nice. We should record that. Do we know any musicians? <laughs> God, I, I hope not. Probably. <laughs> yeah. This is a cool one to research. So we've done some really cool um, independence so far. Started with Catherine doing um, uh, techno. Tongue oil. Oh, techno. Tongue <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> nothing says. Nothing Tongue says. oil comics. Nothing says the holidays. Like, <laughs> like Uncle Whispers peppermint tongue oil. <laughs> oh. Damn, that's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Mm, tingly. Um, and techno was fun. We learned a lot about corporations and tax law. Um, and then uh, and then we went the polar opposite of that, did Malibu. Um, and then the last one we did was uh, Defiant, otherwise <laughs> known as the the ballad of uh, the ballad of Jim Shooter. Oh my God! What a what a, a strange and compelling world that was. I mean, I still want to do an entire show just on Jim Shooter, the cokehead Doogie Howser of comics. We, I still we need want to, to do that. Um, so, and now we find ourselves on Kamiko, Comico, however you want to pronounce it. Interesting, interesting um, comic company. One of the really early indie adopters started very, very early, 86 as a big in 86 is a, is a big deal. Um, yeah, they're one of the only ones that predate the indie boom that we're going to talk about. They were already there. Right. And then they just became surrounded by a, a veritable plethora. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say they had a plethora of cornucopia? I'm going to call it a cornucopia uh, of indie competitors out yeah. there. Yeah. See, um, but I do want to. I'm going to start from the beginning because this was one of the things I found the most interesting about this, uh, about Comico. So you do your research, you find out that the guys met each other in college. The guys that started Comico, Comico. Um, well, let's let me set something up very briefly here at the beginning, you up. because you to really understand the title and why we are pronouncing this particular publisher's name yeah i guess we should say in the way we are we're not being flippant here ironically way way back in my tenure at diamond comic distributors we had you know we were carrying kamiko i've been reading kamiko titles and uh you know one of my favorite titles ever elementals from yep. uh chili willie billingham was, to my knowledge, a Comico publication, emblazoned on the cover mm -hmm. of every issue, on every piece of promotional material, everywhere you looked during their heyday. Comico, the comic company. Right. And then flash forward to the Diamond Era, and one of our managers was mentioning uh, – something about Kamiko. And I thought, how quaint. How utterly unique that you feel you have to come up with some clever, fun, 
playful little pronunciation to suit whatever strange purpose you have in this. And then one day I'm at my desk and the phone rings and this is, you know, Bill from Kamiko. At your desk? And I'm thinking, <laughs> you, that wasn't just a fun, flippant, silly way of saying Comico. <laughs> you idiots, whoever founded this company, the comic company, <laughs> felt somehow the English pronunciation was Comico. <laughs> So that is why, much as it still pains me to this day, in deference to this publisher, I will pronounce the name of the company in the ridiculous, <laughs> delightfully ridiculous way it was presented, it turns out, <laughs> as Shudder Kamiko. There you go. Well, Cole, before there was a Kamiko... <laughs> there was a, there was something called duckwork. Are you familiar with duckwork? I was not familiar with duckwork. Oh. You had had uh, invoked duckwork, and I was um, I was patently unaware of this one. So, uh, Kamiko started. I'm not going to say it started as duckwork, but duckwork was the birth of Kamiko, and it was in Pennsylvania. Some some college students at the at the uh, Philadelphia College of Art started what they call, and I'll get back to this in a second. It was a semi-official school paper. Now, when I say to you semi-official school paper, what it, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, it's more like the uh, you know student-run more or less publications that are. Um, you know, the, the practice ground for okay. future journalists and sure. also a, um, you know, Catherine, when we met, worked uh, in the, um, you know, advertising sales at the school, at the university paper. And it was exactly the sort of thing the term invokes in your mind. And, uh, they even had to uh, turn down the ad for the hourly rates hotel. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, as cash strapped as they often were. So if you look up Duckwork, it is somewhere between. It is. It is our crumb level. <laughs> so I, I was not. I was expecting what you were expecting, right? Like, you know, budding journalism students, maybe some editorial comics, things like that. Like, these guys are artists, right? Maybe some editorial comics. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, you can find it out there um, to, to see some of the work that they did. Um, and it's, you know, definitely, definitely. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something into the chat so that you can see it, Cole. Because it's definitely not um, what I would have imagined as um, as a college as a semi-official college newspaper. But I'm going to slaughter some Italian names now, so bear with me as I go on this journey. Okay. <laughs> um, the guys who the guys who started it were um, first of all Matt Wagner, who you'll know from Mage and Grindle. Like, you know, big deal, Matt Wagner, even today. Um, Jerry Giovinco, how do you pronounce his last name? Is it Giovinco? Giovinco? Sure. Okay. That's what we're going to go with. And Bill Cucanota. <laughs> There's some Italian last names that I'm slaughtering. So all three of these guys worked on Duckworth, Duckwork together. And in like, like true comic fashion, whether you're talking about Eastman and Laird these guys, you know, anybody who came together, you and Steve, um, they they got to the point where they said, hey, we should start a, a comic company. Yeah. We know lots of artists, lots of budding comic professionals. Let's start a comic company. Um, and that's where comic, Comico Comico came from. Um, so they started a company and 
um, did it the way that a lot of companies back then did. Something that we would have referred to in in later days as sort of an ash can. It was a they did a thing called Kamiko Premiere. Kamiko Premiere was a um, showcase. Yeah. Um, and it featured uh, uh, titles like uh, Slaughterman. Do you remember Slaughterman? That name rings kind of familiar. I do. Slaughterman was the story of this. It was it was a guy that rode a motorcycle and shot a bunch of people, and then you know there was a whole story built around it, of course. But oh, naturally, as Mister Justice Scrog, um, the, those characters, most of them went on to become titles for Kamiko later. Um, but they went on to do like five or six of these premieres, which I don't know. Do you have any, or is it, is it a, a, or a primer perhaps? Primer. It is primer. You're right. Yeah. Um, so it was like the sort of thing uh, you would give to English school children in the uh, <laughs> late 20th century or the early 20th century, only vastly different. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because these were not, if you remember me talking about um, whichever comic it was, and it wasn't a it wasn't a Kamiko comic, maybe it was. I don't know. Um, my first time seeing boobies in a comic book. <laughs> That's kind of the level we're working at here. Yeah. Um, definitely like like buxom buxom women. Now these were black and white too. They hadn't broken through to color yet, so they're yes. still working in black and white. Um, lots of buxom. Uh, buxom women lots of violence lots of blood um you know but they also did what all of these what every single one that we've talked about has done so far which is pick up licenses oh exactly and you know the thing about it was that even after they were picking up these licenses you still had things like Scrog and uh, especially Grendel, uh, Matt Wagner's oh, Grendel yeah. was just phenomenally successful mm-hmm. to the point that it was capturing attention outside of your traditional comic oh. circles. Oh yeah, it became one of those um, comics that I, I I loathe to put it in the same category as like a mouse because it's not as far as content goes. But I remember at that point when I was getting into comics kind of in the early nineties, like really getting in as a, as a comic reader and not just somebody who, you know, was into like, you know, green lantern or whatever. Like I was actually trying to seek out comics. There were those comics that broke the, that broke through that wall. Yes. Things like, you know, your, your perennial favorite watchman, um, trans metropolitan is one of those. Grendel is one of those. Actually, Comico had quite a, quite, I'm not going to say quite a few, but in their, in their lexicon of, of books, they had a fair amount of those because I think a lot of that is because it took they took chances on books that maybe they um, that maybe nobody else would and gave it a shot. Well, in many ways, it was like you know to go far back cable TV and then later uh, things like Netflix and the reason we now live in this sort of uh, streaming boom is because when those outside the norm started taking chances, it turned out those weren't necessarily as big and bold a chance as establishment might have thought. They actually were exactly what people were wanting and needing. Right, right. Well, and and people, you know, there's this long-held belief in comics that, you know, comics are, are for kids and, and kids read comics and adults don't read comics, which has never been the case. Yes. <laughs> and they, my, my great, great, great grandpappy <laughs> loved him. Some yellow kid. Damn it. Um, it's never been the case. It took these indies to really, the family uh, had children very young, I guess, pretty much, uh, across the board over the, the many decades and century. Yeah, I have a, by the way, somewhere in this, uh, there it is. There it is. I got one right here. I got a, I got a Kamiko comic. I got fish police. 
in my Let me hand. tell you a little story about fish. Can police. you tell me a story about fish police, please? Fish police. There, there was a wonderfully brilliant and, um, you know, the, the, the biggest ally comic indie comics ever had was the comics buyers guy. Yes. It was a giant tabloid newspaper that came out monthly and would bring to your attention more so than almost anything else. There was another book. I think it was amazing heroes or somebody used to put it out an annual and you would find out about all these comics old and new you'd never heard of. And you would be desperate to find them. Well, somebody wrote about the damn fish police. <laughs> and in the middle of comic spires guide was a giant spread <laughs> of comic shops across the nation. And you wouldn't believe the effort it took to track down a copy of Fish Police number one at great trouble and expense. <laughs> still have to this day because by God, I put so much effort and money into that. Did you, did you and track down a fish the, copy of Fish Police number one? I, I actually bought Fish Police number one because I started being able to find the later issues. Right. But nobody had number one because it sold out. <laughs> And then a few years later, a poorly adapted sellout would be produced as a cartoon series. Really? With none other than, damn it, I'm drawing a blank, uh, you know, come and knock at our door. Uh, Don Knotts? No, the... Uh, <laughs> um, John Ritter. John Ritter as Inspector Gill. Really? I'm looking up this Fish Police TV show right now. But there it is. Less like source material. Holy crap. Well, the source but, material, it was 92. The source material, yeah, the source material is a little adult for an yeah. animated cartoon in 92. That's, yeah, wow. it, it really was, but it, it, it was an interesting and fun book, as I recall. It had Ed Asner in it. Oh, my God. It had... Tim Curry in it. What? <laughs> There's a little gem for you to go out and track down. 92. It had Hector Elizondo in it. <laughs> it had Robert F. and Guillaume in it. That is wild. You're right. It did have John Ritter as a, this was a Jonathan Winters. Cole. Oh my God. Megan Mullally, um, Nick Offerman's wife, and also uh, Karen from Will and Grace was in this thing. Buddy Damn Hackett <laughs> was in this cartoon. Six episodes. They had to think this was going to be a breakaway hit. Oh, absolutely. With this cast, they had to think. Okay, sorry, we're... Listen, everybody, we're coming off of the holidays. We're going to ramble a little bit. We're going to find new well, things that we didn't and know this, existed. this is a, one of the publishers that, for me personally, is rife with nostalgia. Good. Yeah, I want that. Uh, you know, of course, Elementals, dear God, when Willingham was on Elementals, Elementals was worth reading. So before, I want to talk about Elementals, like, right now. But okay. I do want to end this conversation about the Fish Police TV show <laughs> by saying this, Okay. Inspector Seabass, one episode, Phil Hartman. Oh, my God. And, you son of a bitch, Cole, Mr. Lichen, Don Knotts. Oh. Don Knotts. Oh, was, of course we they had to bring Don right. Knotts. The man was already an animated fish once before. <laughs> well, in real life, he was an animated fish. Yeah, he was an animated fish back as far back as the uh, Andy Griffith show and the Apple Dumpling Gang. But... <laughs> All right. All right. Talk to me about because you love Elementals. You love Chili Willingham I, and you love Elementals. I, I do. Well, Bill Willingham, my first my entree into Willingham was in uh, Dungeons and Dragons um, source books. OK. He was one of those, you know, 30 some odd illustrators whose work appeared in a lot of. In fact, he was tapped to do the comic ads for Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that was him. Where they, yeah, where they had the like the little vignettes where the, yeah. you know, the the adventurers would be doing their thing, and then all of a sudden it'd be this big ass dragon smiling at him. That was Bill Willingham, and he 
in addition to doing uh, work for TSR for the the Gygax boys, uh, <laughs> this is a, the worst gang ever. Oh no, it was like you know they're they're in that uh, Time Life Old West series. <laughs> Learned about the Gygax boys, the, the <laughs> worst gang in the Wild West. Roll, hey, we're gonna rob a bank. Roll for initiative. That's right. They, they were so obsessed with dice. They, so um, <laughs> I like that you can't never, stop yourself. You really want to. <laughs> but uh, he also did illustrations for uh, another company's um, modules for the villains, villains and vigilantes, which was a superhero role-playing game. Okay. And in the pages of Kamiko's Elementals, you have the principal villains under the uh, kind of command of the uh, would-be uh, world-destroying uh, character Saker or Saker or whatever the hell he was supposed to be called, were the Destroyers. I believe that was who they were. And absolutely every one of them were right out of death duel with the destroyers module interesting so he just took those ideas and fleshed them out for himself exactly and i guess he owned the characters or enough of a stake and whoever the hell published uh, here uh, villains of vigilantes and you know they they changed considerably but you had absolutely everybody there you had shapeshifter and you had electrocutioner and behemoth and annihilator and I think Chrysalis may have been the only one that was unique, but she may have been part of that group as well. But it was it was fascinating to see these characters jump off the, you know, a couple of illustrations in a manual and become the antagonists of the Elementals team. That's really cool. That's that's cool. And and we know Elementals that... is a damned fine read. So what her. is it? It it's weird in that it. It's almost, I think this predates Moore's, Alan Moore's take on Swamp Thing, because you knew Alan Moore was going to come in here eventually. God damn it, always. You can't. Yeah, the the Moore door you. always opens. <laughs> it just swings wide, and then there we are. But the. It, it, essentially, what the, the plot boiled around with these four individuals who were effectively croaked by the very forces of nature that they would embody like one was a, a cop who was i think maybe some gang star had uh, set a apartment ablaze that she was in investigating okay and one was a uh, i think a coast guard pilot who was his helicopter went down in a violent windstorm and uh one was the son of an archaeologist or something like that, and he gets or geologist. He gets buried in a landslide, and uh, the other is uh, is drowned in the sea or in some large body of water. And all of them come back simultaneously with these the powers of the very of air, earth, fire, and water. Okay. And the elemental, the, the water elemental gal comes back in the uh, at the time. Sexy green always sells. I mean, just ask Star Trek. Oh, yeah. It's got to. So she comes back with the webbed hands and the green skin and looking all hot and everything, and her her rich daddy uh, kind of becomes their benefactor. Mm, One of those. He's he's got this, like, little person who's his valet who (laughs) begrudgingly uh, has to uh, kind of run herd on the group. And uh, so between... uh, the destroyers and the, the pending doom that is uh, broiling on uh, Saker's Island with his all-girl uh, army. You have, which I think we talked about this on the Chili Willingham episode years ago. Uh, you also have a, a government agent there assigned to them, and and sort of the the coming of age and the struggle to be. Effectively, the super dad and uh, okay, and you know Tommy Shazirka's weird way of eating his gloopy bit cereal with Diet Coke and <laughs> all this fat there on the table. Uh, 
but it's a fascinating book, and it was one of the better titles, and I think one of the, the many titles that elevated Kamiko during the, the height of their uh, period. And then, like you said, they, they had a lot of original stuff like Mage. Mage is how I got my introduction. Mage, oh, okay. is a, Mage is a cool ass concept. It's a cool ass book. Um, Mage is the story of Kevin Matchstick. Kevin Matchstick is essentially King Arthur. Okay. And, See, I've never read Mage. I just knew that there was some kind of like Jughead Jones looking wizard guy. Yes. And some big guy in a Black Adam t-shirt with a lightsaber bat. Right. So the the lightsaber bat is Excalibur. Okay. So basically, it's the it's the retell it's the retelling of Arthurian legend. Um, the Lady of the Diamond. <laughs> as it's Mirth, is your Jugheady guy, yeah. um, and the chapter titles are all Hamlet. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's an ambitious. It was That's, an ambitious yeah. book. Um, and it was Matt Wagner's book. So Matt Matt Wagner was doing Grindel and and Mage. At the same time, uh, another interesting thing about Mage is that it was colored at the very beginning by Sam Keith. Sam oh, Keith wow. goes on to do Max and you know Moon Knight and a whole bunch of other books as well. Um, conceptually, something that the mainstream comics would never pick up. You know this Fisher King idea of this um, of this you know guy that. You know, almost it, it's and it's a really nice nod wearing that shirt because it is a Shazam story where, yeah. you know, he meets a wizard. The wizard gives him the ball bat. The ball bat is basically Excalibur. And, you know, he becomes, um, you know, when he's wielding the ball bat, he's basically King Arthur, um, which is it, it is a very, very steeped in mythology story. It's, you know, it, it's got, isn't this the one that has your character, what is he, hundred eyes or whatever it is? No, you're thinking of um, a dead face. Okay. Or, or Bacchus, depending on yes, the, the yes. era and the publisher. Yes. Um, yeah, Eyeball Kid. God, eyeball I love kid. the Eyeball Kid. Yes. Um, so, uh, he, everybody in the story is based on somebody that he knows. So, like, Kirby was Hercules. Okay, so it's sort of like G.I. Joe, where yeah, that's a, all the G.I. Joes are based on people that Larry Hama knew. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but it was a really interesting retelling of Arthurian legend and almost like Shazam mixed. So it was something that I don't think that, you know, it was, it was, it was arch. It was interesting storytelling. The art was kind of good in a wild, in a wild indie kind of way. Like you remember, yes. you remember Ash, the Casada Palmiati book about the firefighter. Oh yeah, it's very that. Um, and um, and I was really into it. It was really, really, it was really, uh, it was really cool. It was a very popular book yes. in its day. It yeah, very popular. You know, and Grindel falls into that category too. Like you said, Grindel transcended. Uh, mainstream, you know, uh, comic shop comics. But you also had comics. Do you remember Evangeline? I remember Evangeline. A sexy nun. Sexy yeah, nun Evangeline. The uh, before Warrior Nun. Uh, oh God. What, what's her name? Ben Nunn's book. Ariella. Ariella. Yeah. Sexy nun Evangeline, which was created by none other than Chuck Dixon, by the way. Chuck Dixon should ring a bell because Chuck Dixon was is a seminal Batman writer, Punisher writer, um, Nightwing, Robin defined, defined Did, Nightwing and defined oh yeah and defined Teen Titans after a fashion. Had his, this was had his uh, this was a group of creators who pretty much got to play in their own sandbox and in many cases highly successfully. Yeah. Absolutely. It was, I mean, these books were nothing to, nothing to shun. Like they, they, the popularity of, of Kamiko during its heyday has to be, has to be recognized because not only were they doing books like Evangeline, not only were they doing books like the, 
letting Bill Willingham loose on elementals and, you know, Kevin Matchstick running around. They also had their, um, their license stuff, which transcended license, which by the way, I think to that point, maybe star Wars one to really, uh, to really transcend license the way that their books did because yeah. Johnny quest goes on to forward the Johnny quest storyline in a way that I don't think had ever been done before. Well, in fact, it, uh, it brought out background characters in a wonderful way. Before we get to that, I do want to point okay. out they had a lot of other creator owned titles like maze agency, which, uh, was, uh, you know, went on for, uh, Sort of like um, it was sort of a crime comic, a detective comic, oh, yeah. if you will. Uh, in addition to Elementals, their other superhero title was Justice Machine. Justice Machine. In fact, uh, Justice Machine uh, did a crossover with Elementals at one point. They had Next Man. I forgot that they had Next Man. I enjoy Next Man. And then one of the most brilliant. It's hard to say because. This was a title, E-Man, E-Man, was a title that was basically at the the swelling of the wave that became the parody explosion. Okay. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles inadvertently set that wave into a tidal wave. And then pretty soon everybody was doing parodies like Secret Doors, and uh, which was actually pretty good, and uh, Nat Rat, The Dark Nat Returns, another really good title. But there were a ton of crappy ones, like the Jamaican take Spidery Mon from some <laughs> long-forgotten one-hit wonder, if you could call that a hit. And, you know, the, the parody wave just kind of ebbed and flowed for many, many, many years. But uh, E-Man was uh, an interesting sort of, it parodied more the the dynamic of the superhero book than necessarily parodying superheroes. But at one point, I remember reading one uh, issue, and he had turned himself into a Geiger counter-faced dog because they were trying to follow a a, a scant radioactive trail. Yeah. And there's like this... Uh, Harvey Bullock looking detective guy that uh, accompanies him and he's like you know, hey such and such you, know, there, uh, you wouldn't believe how much radiation there is out in the world there's even a radioactive spider you think if it bit <laughs> me uh, if it bit you you'd get superpowers and he's like no if it bit you you'd get radiation poisoning and then you'd get dead you'd get dead you'd get dead and I can't remember if it was an E-Man I want to say it was an E-Man that and, and not a normal man that was a different company's title. Uh, but I think it was an E-Man that they did these brilliant parodies of the Hostess comic book ads. Oh, really? Oh, my God. It was just absolutely brilliant. And even predicted the uh, pumpkin Hostess fruit pie, which at the time was a brilliant joke, but then it became a reality. They started stuffing pumpkin into... Just everything. Into, yeah, Hostess fruit pies decades later but uh yeah if you if you pick up a few issues of e-man it's it's a fun read and it's just really brilliant stuff but then as you say then they did the wise thing uh and did the dark horse thing where it was a combination of creator ownership and very shrewdly uh, vetted licenses well and one more i wanted to talk about because it ties into one we've already talked about so we've already talked about this one is in 89, they picked up Trouble with Girls from Malibu. Yeah, that was a, an interesting title because it, like so many indies of its day, it changed publishers repeatedly. Yeah, it, it went from Epic to Devil. It went to, for, to Devil's Due as recently as 2010. Wow. So, But it, I don't think we ever talked about what it was because it was kind of – it would never play as it did then today. But – at the time, it was this this Superman looking, <laughs> very guy. Superman looking, um, very Clark Kent esque. Yeah, but he was you know, he was the action star. So it was a parody of action movies in a, in, a, in essence, where he was like a secret, not 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 a secret agent, but he couldn't leave. He was just he was just he just wants to be a guy, you know. But he leaves his house and he gets attacked by terrorists. Like, he can't go to the grocery store without having to, like, 
foil robbery. Every time he comes home, there's just beautiful women everywhere, and he just wants <laughs> to go to bed. You know, he can't go for a drive. He can't do any. And it's it's just this ongoing parody of this guy's life and his just embroilment in this action movie life that he just doesn't want. And you know, it's it's a little it's a little sexisty, so I don't think it would play now. But um, but it's really actually very funny. I've picked up I've read a couple issues and it was it was very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to make sure we touched on that. But yeah, the the I mean Johnny Quest they did they did Johnny Quest and and like you said brought out background characters and really fleshed it out, which is something that 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 wasn't really done at the time. And William Messner Loeb's work. For 31 yes. issues, which is crazy. <laughs> like, these guys that are, you know, coming out of the woodwork, you know, William Messner Loeb's, who worked uh, on The Flash forever, um, Wonder Woman forever, Thor forever. Like, come on. These guys were, these guys had a playground to go buck wild. And yes. were allowed to do that outside of the, outside of the editorial sandbox of the bigs. And we got the biggest stars out of this um they also did um they did a uh, robotech didn't they no not robotech um uh, they did uh, no, star they did, blazers and robotech they I did believe. robotech right yeah. they did the ro- they had the robotech comic they um, had both star blazers and robotech pretty much running simultaneously really so they were capturing a massive american uh you know pre anime anime market well, they also did Space Ghost. Yeah, well, that's right. Yes, they did. So, I mean, they did so much. You know, they got these licenses. They did them. They gave it's the it's the story we've been telling forever. Now, the you know, as we come up against it, we which we are because we always do. Yeah. Um, with so much to tell, we've got to we've got to talk about the fall of of Kamiko, because especially because you have a company that is. How could they lose? Well, they were they were, as you know, this because is the you company took, that brought us the Rocketeer for God's yeah. sake. Well, you took the phone call at Diamond, right? So, at the time, their big, you know, they were doing direct market, and they were doing it well. They were very successful, like you said. They gave us Rocketeer, they gave us Robotech, they gave us Speed Racer and Johnny Quest and and you know Space Ghost plus Elementals. These these much loved comics by you know for the comic reader so where did they go wrong cole well this was an interesting thing because it it was literally i was probably in the pages of elementals or perhaps um you know speed racer or some or uh, johnny quest or something like that that there was an editorial written by probably the president at the time of comico talking about they had made the decision to enter the realm, the newsstand, the rack jobber, the, yes. the spinner rack at the 7-Eleven, if it still existed anywhere, in an era where that was largely an abandoned market. Right. I mean, even Harris Publications had left the magazine format of Eerie and Creepy and Vampirella and gone straight into comics and direct market under tops eventually. They decided to blaze, you know, to follow an old trail that had long since been overgrown and went into the rack jobber market, which if you're unfamiliar, uh, when you go and like, say, the grocery store, you see all the magazines every month all piled high. Absolutely every one of those is sold on spec. Basically, if nobody buys it, the rack jobber comes in, takes out last month's issue, puts in this month's issue, and the retailers charge only for what they sold. They have zero obligation to sell. And that was what the big difference was when Steve Jeppe creates Diamond Comic Distributors and becomes sort of the father of the modern uh, direct market. Um, it, it ex- existed to an extent, and the direct market was basically the publishers saying, we will sell to you, and you're stuck with it. Whatever you buy, it's up to you to sell. We're not taking it back, which in a way is a wonderful thing because there has to be a, a metric trillion tons 
of unsold publications in landfills today. Because, no, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, I remember going to some bookstores and they would have a box of coverless novels out front, free, take as many as you want. And, you know, you might find a, a book you really wanted to read and it just didn't have a front cover because they had to send the front covers in mm-hmm. to get That's their proof. money back on it. And number two, to, to make it unsellable. Right. Uh, otherwise, they just were, you know, being given permission to make uh, – to print money. So all of a sudden they're stocking every 7-Eleven in the, in the known universe with books yeah, that aren't guaranteed to sell because your, your local comic shop's only going to order what they know they can sell. Exactly. And I think that the, what they saw was an opportunity to at least expand their market and presumably anything they took back, there was always the um, potential to sell it off in the you know newly burgeoning aftermarket they could always sell back issues direct but they entered a strange world that was unaccustomed to their titles and while they did offer things like uh was it radio boy or um oh astro boy they actually had licensed astro boy and uh, they had, you know, Speed Racer and Johnny Quest and some familiar things. But these were comics that were written to an adult comic reader, not to the reader who picks up a comic book at the 7-Eleven. Right. And in this editorial, he talked about how they entered this world that they never knew existed, where people were complaining about pornography. And he put in front of Speed Racer. Yeah. <laughs> Or uh, cursing the term "little bugger" in uh, in Astro Boy. Well, yeah, because you didn't have that in the in the bigs. You yeah. know, you didn't have you, there. There was nothing. You weren't going to have anything to worry about in the bigs. If you if you picked up a Batman book, you knew what you were getting. You know, these were and it, and it had to have more eyes on it than any other comics because. If if you grew up knowing what Speed Racer was, yeah, and then you picked up this comic and your kids got a Speed Racer comic and you say, oh, Speed Racer, I grew up with Speed Racer. It played on, you know, the UHF channel. Exactly. And then it's not what you remember it to be. <laughs> yeah, then all of a sudden, and because it was also one of the few publishers who's, other than Archie, whose books could be found. Yeah. On the racks. Yes. You know, so I don't know if it was hubris that made them think that this was a good idea or just, you know, them thinking this was the next evolution and not seeing the writing on the wall that it wasn't, you know, that that this was this was not the way of the future. This was going to be the past in short order. Um, But this is what led to their fall. They ended up. Um, well, it doesn't help that at the same exact time that that this was going down, you know, Mage ended, um, I think, uh, I think either Robotech or Johnny Quest ended at the same time. So they were kind of uh, up against it anyway. So, so I'm not sure, you know, it it just seems like a, a bad situation, but they ended up, um, selling a bunch of their licenses, um, and that's how things like Grindel ended up at Dark Horse and Rocketeer ended up at IDW. Um, and then, and you know, um, I don't know if DC had Hanna-Barbera then or not. I know they do now. Well, no, because that would have come with Warnet. Yeah. Um, but it eventually it would include uh, Hanna-Barbera. But, uh... Right. But they, you know, um, a couple things were picked up by Apple Comics. Uh, this is when... Um, Trouble with Girls went to went to Malibu again, um, and um, they ended up like going into business with DC to to put their comics out, um, which didn't really work. You know, so so nothing really nothing worked. They tried bookstores, and they just after after this choice that they made, they just could not bounce back. It just yeah. wasn't happening. Um, so they they went under, and now recently they've. Um, I, I say recently, but I think it was like about tw- about ten years ago. 
they started a comic company called CO2, which is the original owners started their own. Have you heard of CO2? No, or, or if I have, I never would have made the connection. CO2 is is the second iteration, and it's mostly online. So it's mostly web comics. It's called it's called CO2 Comics, and it's a it's a it's an online web comic forum, basically website for web comics. But it's it's the original creators of of Kamiko coming back to the table. Amazing. So they're they're back, um, and they. And they host uh, comics from the Comico, uh, Kamiko Primer as well there. So, short of talking about summer and winter fun Gumby specials, um, I do have <laughs> one other thing I want to talk about, which is kind of an interesting story that happened um, that happened a little while ago. Um, and that is, I think it was, God, when was it that it popped up? I need, I, I don't know when it popped up. Um, when they went out of business, they were they were purchased by Andrew Rev, um, and Andrew Rev, at some point, found this like load of comics, this load of original comic art from Comico, and put it up on eBay. It's twenty. It was twenty years ago. Um, today. Today. Well, you know what's weird. Sorry, if ever told us. Yeah. It it was it was almost I think it was almost twenty years ago today. Wow. Because it was December first, so I think it was almost twenty years ago today. Good night. Um, went up on eBay, and this caused a big issue about who owns comic art rights. And you were saying that this runs kind of in conjunction with Big Push, um, the Big Kirby push to give him the rights to his work. Yes, because there was a big deal about Marvel trying to retrofit the nature of the ownership. Of the actual original art, and there was a, a massive fight, and I think ultimately the court of public opinion came to Kirby's aid, and he was able to be restored all of it, or most of his original art before he died. Right, and that's sort of what what you know. There was an outpouring of you know, if this is your original art, then it should be yours. Um, and um, Dana Schultz. Um, who was involved with the the actual running of Kamiko? You know, the, she was she was saying that um, a bunch of stuff disappeared, and this was stuff that 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 disappeared. And if it is the stuff that disappeared, then by all rights, it doesn't belong to him; it belongs to the ownership. And there was a big. I remember, I actually kind of remember this at the time being a big deal because like comic comics Alliance wrote a really good article on it. Um, you know, work by, uh, Willingham and the elementals, you know, mage Grindle were in there. Robotech rocketeer was in there. You know, all of these, all of these things were in there when it went up and people looked at it as this really kind of shady thing that happened Yeah, because that art should not have a been lost yeah, because it was December first, twenty ten, that, that it was first reported on. So it's been all—it's—it's it's almost ten years to the day, <laughs> ten years and a month since you know this went down. Um, and you just found this in a warehouse, thousands of pounds of um, color separation sheets and proofs, and you just found it. And you're putting it up on eBay for twelve thousand dollars. So it does seem a little shady, but. I digress. Um, all right, that's comic. That, that's well, Kamiko. Speaking of digression, I you cannot talk about Kamiko. Yeah, wrap us up, baby. Or, you know, where things went, and you know, I mentioned the parody boom, and there was another boom that we've discussed on this show before a couple of times. Uh, that I think we really need to revisit again, uh, and that is the sex boom. Boobies. Uh, that was a big deal. There was, um, oh, what's his name? Phil Folio, who did, um, uh, he would, was a creator of, um, well, he was the illustrator for the adaptations of Robert Asprin's, um, oh, what the hell was the name of that series? The um, Myth Adventures. Okay. And uh, also did a number of books himself, including a dirty book called The Xenophile with Triple X's. <laughs> Um, 
when he, he used to do a feature uh, strip in Dungeon Magazine or Dragon Magazine, whichever the hell was the American one. I think it was uh, Dragon Drag, Magazine. Dragon Magazine was the American one. Yeah, the U.S. And with, it was uh, Phil and Dixie or something like that, and they would always be, every now and again, there would be like these little winks at sex in D&D. That was the, the big, you know, carrot that was dangled out there every now and again and, and then you know naturally something else would supersede the, the discussion sure. and um so anyway the uh it it seems that there was a period where we began to see an emergence of it was a big deal that uh i remember steve uh, mccauley and i once talking about you know sex in comics and nudity and especially nudity in comics that, that was the the big thing that was like tantalizingly on the horizon. I, hey, I remember seeing my first comic movies. Yeah. And it was, it was like a huge deal. Like, you know, when they would, uh, sneak in the odd, uh, Sergio Aragonis, uh, <laughs> topless chick in the margins of mad magazine, you know, it, it always seemed like something that was the, the forbidden fruit. Sure. That was just right there on the horizon. And then when it did hit, it hit big. And prior to Kamiko's, thank God, entree into the rack jobber market, they published not one but two Elementals sex specials. Did they? Because, I mean, William himself did at least two hypersexual titles, um, Ironwood and... Um, Coventry, but you know there, there was always this sort of like you know little hinting of a lot, lot of innuendo, a lot of potential uh, for uh, rampy pampy between the uh, <laughs> your various characters. Not, not comfortable with rampy pampy, and you didn't. And again, <laughs> and again you didn't get that. Um, you didn't get that. In comics at all at yeah. that time, this it's a it's a brand new thing. So and you know, in the first sex special, they were just to be as blatant as possible, I suppose. the The cover of the first one, uh, what's her name, Fathom, uh, the, the the elemental spirit of water, there uh, had some sort of mystical boyfriend who uh, was like a were dolphin. <laughs> Sure. Or, or you could just turn into a dolphin. I'm not sure which. And then, you know, there they are. Uh, uh, I can't remember the Infiligro. Infiligrante. <laughs> Infiligrante, yes, thank you. Uh, I always want to say a gratin. That's <laughs> covered in cheese. <laughs> but that's what happened when uh, Mrs. Potato Head had an affair with the... <laughs> A wheel of cheese, but uh, yeah, there they are, just going at it on the cover in uh, blissful underwater sexuality. Yeah, yeah, uh, so they, they scandalous. weren't scandalous. They weren't kid. Yeah, it was highly scandalized, and uh, you know they they weren't pulling any punches, and I think they calmed it down a little bit uh, with the cover of the second one. <laughs> with the sort of suggestion of a threesome. Uh, <laughs> Implied threesome? Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, why don't we wrap this up? You know, I know that you love Elementals. This was a good one. This was a special one for you because we got, you got to talk about Elementals. Anytime well, Elementals and Fish Police, for God's sake. When do I ever get to talk about Fish Police? I mean, I can talk about it. I've got it right here. Um, also, the fact that uh, that cast on that... <laughs> that six episode cartoon series was wild. I think it's streaming somewhere. I stumbled it. on it the other day. Damn it! I'm gonna have to watch that. Um, yeah, they 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 hedged a lot of bets on Fish Police. Maybe they should yeah. have. <laughs> Maybe they. I, I actually called a comic shop in Hawaii trying to find the damn thing. I've got the. Um, I wonder if they're still around. It was Jelly's Comic Shop in Hawaii. I have the uh, collected Comico. Kamiko Fish Police here, um, with a forward by none other than Harlan Ellison. Oh my God! When was this released? Eighty-seven. So this was released in eighty-seven, um, with a forward by one Harlan Ellison. So there you go. 
Um, all right, Cole. Well, why don't you? What are we doing next week? We got one more of these. Uh, this, I, I'm sorry, I have to make it aside here because I think. Please do. What the hell? Is it is it closed now? Oh, are you looking for your jellies? Yeah, apparently jellies in Honolulu, Hawaii. But I can't tell with certainty that they're still around. Well, they probably went but, the way of so many. Yeah. But I, I just got curious if they uh, do they still exist. But uh, that was one of the many places I called, and unfortunately, uh, I don't think they were able to help me. <laughs> I can't remember where in the nation I finally found the damn thing, but uh, glad I was that I did. That's right. At the time, anyway. <laughs> All right, so next week we're doing one more of these before this arc's over. Yes, indeed. We are going to close out the arc with none other than comic scholar Weldon Adams uh, with critical acclaim. <laughs> what happens when a video game company goes into comics? Very hard to research, by the way. Because Well, that is where Weldon will come in handy because there was a day when he had a little desk off to the side in the corner in the main office at Diamond Comic Distributors Dallas where he presumably acclaimed leased the space from us. Okay. And he plied his day as the inside sales rep for acclaimed comics and would call retailers all day long and try to up their orders and discuss the upcoming comics and was part of a claims according to an ad in either Comic Buyer's Guide or some industry rag. Their their um, magnificent seven. They fielded seven reps. And he was one of seven. He was one of seven, which then became a Fantastic Four, <laughs> which then became nothing, <laughs> which then just crashed and burned. Yeah. So I'm sure that Weldon can give us the kind of inside information that will fill in every conceivable blank in the, the hubris laden story <laughs> of a claim. And in the meantime, as you are listening to this, if you have seen the rise of Skywalker, then please, by all means, tune in to the rant Pit live on Dallas on we're on the first and third Sundays of every month, myself and Eddie Medina, live streaming video show. And we are going to talk about The Rise of Skywalker, and we're not going to hold back anything. So please, for the love of God, if you haven't seen it, don't watch. But if you have, uh, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central Time on DallasOnAir.com. And the two weeks later, we'll be talking about the Mandalorian in exactly the same spoiler rich fashion. So we're giving you a little more time there to get caught up. So uh, be sure and uh, check out uh, the fans, uh, or rather fans on the rise and two weeks later, mandatory viewing. That's good. That's a good title. Uh, yeah, I might have to if I'm not if I'm not otherwise engaged. You might be getting a call from me on Sunday because oh, I God got some bless you. That... We we need we need you to help. We need to help you unpack. <laughs> I got it. I really do. I have a lot of luggage that needs to be <laughs> unpacked. Um, yeah. So uh, you can find us on the socials at HK Comics Show. Uh, what about your other show, Cole? Oh yeah. Also on the third Sunday of every month, nine thirty to ten thirty a.m. Isle of Toys, A I S L E. Also on the uh, Dallas on Air, preceding the uh, the second uh, monthly episode of the Rancor Pit Live. And uh, I think uh, coming up this month, uh, we're going to start the year off right with a. L- the latest installment in a long ass time of the legends of Andrew oh Farm. God, we are. It's a, it's a, a cute little booth production. Um, should be, <laughs> should be. Oh, I got a lot of those sweet little boots. Those sweet little boots little and the, sweet, and the sweet little pockets. Um, so that definitely should be coming in short order. I've already sent you one short video and I have every intention of recording a couple more here in the, nearest of future um, and i'm also introducing a couple of new uh features for the show uh, about a toy and what's in the box nice nice um yeah so uh buy collect enjoy your fish police um 
Even if you have to, even if you have to go across multiple time zones to do it, Cole. Um, Back in the days when it was long distance. Man, you spent money. I racked up some serious long distance charges for little, you know, 45 second calls one after another. I would have really liked to have uh, been on the receiving end of that uh, that phone bill. Oh, God. And did the same thing for secret doors. Why'd you call Portland, Oregon for 45 seconds, fish police? <laughs> um, I may well have. I was just randomly uh, darting about the page there. You're just I'm going to find it on this thing. All right. So join us next week for more Hey Kids Comics. Say goodnight, Cole. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Go, Miko! Go, Miko!